Happy Mother's Day. So, I'll give you the chance to inquire further any questions about anything we've discussed or anything in general that uh, you might be able to address from a spiritual perspective. Welcome. Yes. Um, I am wondering about the difference between um, Zaidi Bhakti and Radhanuga Bhakti. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what's the difference between Vaidhi Bhakti and Raganuga Bhakti? It's getting complicated. We thought it was just about Bhakti. <laughs> um, so, that's a good question. And Vaidhi Bhakti, Vaidhi Vidhi means rules. Hmm? Have you ever seen the depiction of, of Brahma, the creator, the four-headed... God, another name for him is Vidhi. So he he, he plays by the rules. <clears throat> he makes rules, laws of nature, I guess you could say, hmm? of sorts, or adjusts them. Um, not sure if they're consistent throughout all the multiverse, but uh, <laughs> at any rate, um, Vaidhi Bhakti means then a rule oriented uh, type of bhakti or an orientation towards bhakti that is motivated by laws. In the sacred text we find things that should be done, things that shouldn't be done. Hmm? And so we may be motivated on the basis of the idea that there are sacred texts and they're telling us something important that we might not know otherwise, hmm? ultimately that we could not know otherwise, it's known by revelation, and and so there are things that are, as I say, to be done and not to be done, and that would be our motivation, motivating force. So I, I will serve God or love God, if you will, which is the idea of bhakti, out of a sense of duty, because God is to be served. I shall do it. Hmm? It's the right thing to do. And um, this is a very uh, noble idea and it can call for much sacrifice in our lives. Let's look at the Leela of Ram. You know the Leela of Ram with Hanuman and Sita? And How many of you are, have heard of that before? Ram Leela, right? Ram, okay. Leela means that there are different... Um, different expressions, uh, emotional expressions of divinity uh, in relation to how the divinity is approached. So, when it's approached with love, then there's reciprocation in love, and the love life of the Absolute then is set into motion, if you will. So we don't look at the Godhead as some static pulsating or not pulsating, quiet consciousness, still forever reality, but one that has movement. Hmm? It is said by some that if, you, if you're full 
and fulfilled, why move? Hmm? And the implication would be that desire, which has us moving around, is um, a product of a result of our being unfulfilled. Hmm? And so, if we could distinguish desire, like some spiritual disciplines talk about, as the be-all and end-all of spiritual culture, we could conclude that we would end up being quietly, hmm, with no diversity, hmm, in some kind of eternal beatific vision or something like that. Hmm? Uh, but then there's a, a further idea that some of the traditions speak about, bhakti tradition in particular, the idea that if you're full, then there might be a non-reason reason for moving. Out of fullness you might move. Out of like, wow, I'm full. And celebrate that. Hmm? Not out of a necessity of lacking, but out of a necessity of completeness, of fullness. So that in bhakti we're positing a dynamic, static, ultimate reality. Its staticness lends to its dynamism, and its dynamism lends to its staticness. By staticness, I don't know if it's a word, but by static, I, I mean something like, now we are moving in this world by the force of our wants, our desires. We're developing an identity based on our desires and our attachments. You know, I'm attached to Portland, so I think of myself in a certain, I'm a certain way, and so forth. Um, or I'm attached to a particular man or a particular woman or so forth and set of circumstances, things, cars, whatever. And I've got an identity that's very much fostered by that. I like to say that our sense of I is uh, informed by our sense of my. What we think is ours hmm, turns into our sense of I. This is obviously a very uh, fragile I because nothing is ours. And that is pointed out to us as time goes on. Hmm. And the Gita Krishna says, time I am, destroyer of the worlds. Hmm. The worlds of our mind and the I that's formed there on the basis of our false sense of my. So there's a lot of movement. Um, in this sense of I based on our my's because what's mine is always changing. It's not mine anymore. I've got to get something else and fill the gap and, and make myself feel you know, complete and so forth. So this kind of movement, this is uh, kind of like running up the down escalator. Hmm? We don't really get anywhere in terms of fulfillment. We don't arrive at a really enduring sense of I that is um, happy. Hmm? It's not enduring and it's not not happy. Hmm? So, to move away from that movement, if you will, and to become still. Because you have no wants, so your identity is no longer based on attachment to things. Your identity is based on the fact that you, you exist. Hmm? your enduring unit of existence, consciousness. Hmm? And so there's a, it forms a unity, if you will, with every so-called everyone else because we see beneath the veil of these differences it makes your eye what it is and another person's eye what it is. 
you see the underlying ground of being which we're standing on there is pretty still and firm it's not going to change hmm? and it's enduring hmm? um, so there's no threat of non-existence so there's a kind of a ah happiness in the form of ah a great sense of relief hmm? but this is what, what I would call a static divinity it's positive I mean it's a positive thing obviously but then within that the bhakti idea is that we can find a variety of the dynamism yesterday we talked about it like concentric waves in the, in the pond rather than just a still pond concentric waves many stones thrown in the same place making concentric waves very beautiful arguably more pleasing to the mind than just the still pond so this is the this is the dynamism then in which the absolute Brahman still underlying consciousness, the ground of being, starts to dance. Hmm? Um, and this is what we call Leela. Hmm? So there are different expressions of Leela then. It's a movement, and when we try to talk about it in in in, in, in human languages and and uh, think about it, thought and so forth. Then there are there are ways in which great uh, mystics have have tried to relate this experience, an experience that transcends words and thought. And in the various descriptions of Leela, hmm, uh, we um, we what we find is is different nuanced kinds of expressions of love. I gave the example the other night. In a family unit, which is a loving unit, let's say, hmm, from one sense, one point of view, it's, it's a one single loving unit. If we look closer inside, we find there are different kinds of love inside that loving unit. There's the love for the wife, for the husband. There's the life for the love for the husband for the for the for the son there's a love between the son and the daughter who are brother and sister hmm? now none of these types of love really get change the picture it's it's a unit of love but it's it has different nuances hmm? so we, we want to say that the nature of love is that it is it is varied hmm? sometimes it is said Variety is the spice of life. Hmm? Now, it might be quite settling to overcome a false variety. This is what I mean by material life. It's a false variety because, as Prahlad said, puna punas charvita charvananam. You know what I mean. He said, <laughs> he said, he said, material life is chewing the chewed. That's what it is. It looks always like there's something new, but there's a st- only, it's a static environment and you're only com- combining the same elements and, and, and again and again. I mean, let's say, anybody here want to sell their house? Probably not a good time. <laughs> uh, but if you did, somebody else out there, hopefully, <laughs> would want to buy it. Hmm? So you've had it, it served your purposes, or it's 
disturbed your purposes and now you have to get rid of it because it costs too much and you can't afford it. So you wanted it, you got it, now you want to get rid of it and you're just hoping that someone will take it off your hands and somebody else is just hoping they'll buy it. They're really living on your rejected remnants, so to speak. And then we've got to go buy a house somewhere else, so a smaller one, size down or whatever, and somebody's selling that. And this is just to give you an example. Hmm? There's a saying in the, in, in the sacred text, this is, it said that the prostitute only has one thing to offer her customer, but she just dresses differently every day. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be different, but it's really pretty much the same thing every day. So material life is something like that. Hmm? Therefore, it's not satisfying. When we talk of rasa, hmm, it is said, there's one rasa that pervades the world. That's called vibhatsa. It means disgust. In other words, the more I engage with material things, the more I become disgusted by them in due course. It just turns it, its face on me. You, you know, the, that white knight in shining armor became a couch potato or something, you know. Uh, it was had no emotions or something. Uh, you know, so it, like in a dream, only only over more a longer period of time. In a dream, you know, a prince can turn into a monster in a moment, right? So, in waking state, it just takes a little longer. But dukkha yonaevate. I cited this from the Gita yesterday. Attachment to the objects of senses, objects of sight, forms objects of uh, hearing, sounds, and so forth. Attached to these things is the womb from which suffering takes birth. Hmm? Because again, I also pointed out, if you are attached to something in the sensual world, objects of senses, and you like it, when you can't keep it, it becomes that much more of a problem. So there's, there's kind of no way around it. Krishna sums it up in the Gita in two words when he says, Dukkalayam ashashvatam. The world is dukkalayam. It's a place of suffering. This was the teaching of the Buddha. Hmm? It's a heavy teaching. He said, the world is about dukkha. He thought it was something else. He thought it was the bowl of cherries, but they say it was the pits. All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's what he said. So, the world's about suffering. Krishna says the same thing. Dukalayam. And it's as, he's talking to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. And it was as, as if Arjuna was about to say, but I like it. And then he said, Ashashvatam. Ashashvatam means you can't keep it. It just got worse. Hmm? The more you liked it, more now it's become worse, more of a problem. Hmm? So therefore it said, it, the, only, the only taste you can get from this world is disgust. Or I like to put it like this, the only taste you can get is an appetizer which results in indigestion. Hmm? This is, there's a carrot there. You know, it's just about to... Everything's just going to be about fulfilled, be fulfilled. Or in science, the T-O... What is it? E. The theory of everything is just about to be found. <laughs> and all the problems are going to be solved and, and so forth. That carrot will be there for a long time. So... Hmm. So, such as uh, is 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 material life, hmm. um, but still, it, we see it as kind of a reflection, if you will, of reality. 
we talked about this world like being the shadow of the of the, of the world of light. So everything's kind of turned around a little backwards. The sentiments of loving that are here have value, but they're not properly centered. So you're getting these stones in the pond in different places, and it's causing not concentric circles, but just kind of a disturbed water. It's disturbing my, my mind in the forest where it was placid and peaceful previously. Hmm? So, when we move from an off-centered loving life to a properly centered loving life, centered on the Godhead, then we enter into the, the, the realm of, of, of variegatedness within transcendence. And so it's a loving existence. And as I want to say, there are, there are varieties, nuances of love, similar to the idea, like I said, of a family. Hmm? And so, therefore, there are different leelas. Leela means literally like, like play, divine play. So, you see, let us take the Brahman, the absolute consciousness, like pulsating, still, you know, consciousness. You kind of try to picture it, it's just like, there's no picture of it. Hmm? Now, let, let's say you want to merge with that because it's just like an enduring existence and you would love to endure having experienced the threat of non-endurance and all the trouble that you have to do to kind of try to keep your sense of existence existing. You have to go to work. If you don't eat, you're going to die. That sense of material existence. So we're struggling so hard to maintain that. So if we could just go, ah, I don't have to struggle anymore. Nothing's going to kill me. I can live forever. That's kind of a negative bliss, if you will. It's like, ah, a big relief. So there's spiritual disciplines for kind of entering into that, if you will. Kind of like, almost like merging myself with this pulsating consciousness and I don't sense there's any other because another would be a problem. Hmm? That's been my experience. It's kind of a poor idea of harmony. (laughs) One note. But um, it's better than many notes off key. Uh, You know, something like that, which is the material song, if you will. (laughs) So it has some some value. Hmm? There may be value in zero if you've been in negative numbers previously. Hmm? But what we're talking about in bhakti is is positive numbers then, Hmm? beyond zero. And so what bhakti is, you see, is is a is is an in, it, it 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 is a constitutes an interface with with Brahman. Not emerging, in a in a, in a in a ordinary sense, but a um, not emerging in which my own individuality is lost, but emerging in love. So in love there are there are unions, but in love you and I become we. It's like you and I are still there. It's two letters, we. <laughs> so there's two of us still there, but we're one at the same time. Hmm? So this is a, more of a, a dynamic idea of oneness than a static idea of oneness that does away with everyone else. Hmm? It, it, that would be peaceful. There'd be no one to argue with. But um, so, so in bhakti, it, it, we're pursuing. A, re- a relationship with that source of consciousness. And so that is going to, we're not seeking to go, enter there and rest, we're seeking to have reciprocal dealings. Hmm? 
So that, the idea, the implication is, causes movement in Brahman. Hmm? So bhakti causes this Brahman, which is still in everywhere. And as I said the other day, if you're everywhere, how can you move? Hmm? Such is the power of bhakti. Hmm? That that which is everywhere starts moving by the influence of bhakti. So then we have this Brahman is dancing. Krishna, the source of Krishna is bhakti. The source of bhakti is Krishna. People say sometimes, well, if God created the world, who created God? Where did God come from? We say, well, you mean where did Krishna come from? From Radha. And he said, well, where did Radha come from? From Krishna. This is the idea. Bhakti is love of God. God is the object of love. You can't really have one without the other. You, I can't be a teacher if I don't have any students. Hmm? You can't be students unless you have a teacher, right? Hmm? We could be on the same page, hopefully. <laughs> maybe the same paragraph, maybe the same sentence. Hmm? So, uh, the two complement one another. So, this is Beda Beda, oneness and difference. So, Radha's Bhakti Devi, when she's She's the compassionate nature of Krishna, so to speak. So she shares herself with us. Then we, with the ingress of bhakti into our lives, then we have a potential for coming to such a position that even Krishna can be overwhelmed by that influence. What to speak of maya, being ex- influence being extinguished, that's an that's a easy thing. That's a, that's a no-brainer, so to speak. So, at any rate, because this bhakti is about the relationship, we call rasa. Hmm? Rasa means like sacred, aesthetic rapture, reciprocal dealings with the Absolute. Hmm? Um, So, in order to try to explain this, mystics have depicted it in art, written about it, you hear the stories of Krishna, you see that artistic depictions of Krishna and so forth. These are, I would say, based on a true story. You ever see, like, movies based on a true story? You know, the biography of someone. It's a little bit embellished, you know, for effect and and so forth. So, uh, the depictions of Leela in the texts, the depictions in art and so forth, these are, like, based on a true story. They're giving us some idea what they do, the, 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 the artwork and even the, the texts, if you study them carefully, they're trying to express certain feelings, sentiments of love. And so in that context, then there are different manifestations of divinity that correspond with those different kinds of love. So Ram is one. Hmm? Ram, the husband of Sita, the 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 the, the, the master of Hanuman, hmm? right? And there's a beautiful uh, story, Ramayan, where that's that's beautifully depicted. Hmm? It's said that Valmiki, the legendary author of Ramayana, was um, a murderer by trade, and. So <laughs> So he, he used to go out and he used to um, um, 
waylay pilgrims and bilk them and come home and uh, you know, give the the earnings to his good wife. This is how they lived. And, and, and she was apparently very um, materialistic. Sounds like he was too, but um, she was never satisfied. So he, was, he went to this extreme, was the idea. Maybe she didn't even know about it, but he went to this extreme to get some gold from some guy. And so the, the, the proverbial sage, you know, uh, Narada, appeared on the scene with his vena. Narada Muni Bhajai Vina Radhika Ramana Nami He's singing like this Radhika Ramana Radhika Ramana He appears there <laughs> and he has this instrument the Vina He's just just off the ground hovering and he says this isn't good <laughs> you shouldn't do that so he instructs him you should chant Ram Nam one of the names of God Ram. Hmm? Ram, Nam, it speaks about pleasure actually, hmm? ananda, joy. Hmm? So he says, you should chant the name of Ram. He says, well, you know, I've heard Ram's name of God. I'm absorbed in death. So I'm preoccupied. I'm, like every night I'm waiting here to kill somebody and I'm figuring out how I can do it and get away with it. So you know, it's kind of like hard for me to chant the name of God. You're asking a lot, he said, for me to you know change like this for a spiritual practice. Can you give me something a little easier to do? Yeah, something like that. So Nard, very wise, he said, "All right, it's because you're preoccupied with death, you chant Mara because Mara means death. Mara." He said, well, "I can do that. Mara, Mara, Mara." So if you chant. That's right. Mara, 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 Rama, Rama. See, Mara, Rama, turned into Rama. That's the idea. And then all these truths of the Ramayana appeared in his heart. And he wrote the story. So he developed certain certain kind of love of God, and then it was depicted hmm, in 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 the, in the literature. The whole story of Hanuman and Ram, the kidnapping of Sita, and rescuing of her by Hanuman, and Ram going through the forest. And he's very noble, this Ram. Hmm? He was a king, and kings in those days tended to have harems. Hmm? But he took a vow, I'll have only one wife. I was like, wow, that's pretty... Kings tend to be pretty sensuous, you know, and, and so forth. That's, that's uh, noble, they thought. Hmm? And then it was turning out that his father had given a promise to one of his wives in the future that if anything, that if you ever wanted a, a, a benediction, I give it to you, ask at any time. She got bad association. When Ram, his son, the king's son, was about to be coronated, she got bad association and, and, and got influenced in a way as to ask her husband that don't coronate Ram, coronate my son. Hmm? And banish Ram to the forest. And so, you know, envy comes into the picture. 
and the implications of this and so forth, jealousy. And, and, and so Ram, his father, is noble, so he still he doesn't want to maintain his promise hmm? and banish Ram to the force. But Ram says, no, I, I will go. I don't want to see your promise broken. This is a very dutiful Leela, is what I'm saying to you. Hmm? Ram goes into the forest, and Sita goes with him, Hanuman and Lakshman. It's a long story. But it, the story is full of Ram's adherence to Dharma, doing the right thing from a Dharmic point of view, to the point that, you know, this guy's not human. <laughs> it's impossible to be that, you know, that Dharmic. Hmm? It's, so he's, it's, it's, it's a human-like Leela, but it's supra, uh, you know, dutiful. So this kind of the mood, the overall overriding mood of this kind of love is called mariada. Mariada means like vidhi, I said, like rules, like dutiful love. So the devotees who enter into this leela, this experience, if you will, hmm, they have a dutiful kind of love, a reverential kind of love. Hmm? wherein they, 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 they know that the object of their love is, is God, and so they're the, Hanuman is the typical person, in the, the figure in the Leela, who, who is the window. Hmm? Hanuman's um, love is the, is the window through which one can pass into that Leela and participate in it. In other words, the sentiment of Hanuman hmm, is the opening for entering into this Leela. So one development is called Dasya, like the, like the love of a servant for the master, where there's going to be some, you know, I'm sitting up here, you're sitting down there. <laughs> you know, there are two different roles here, but so there's a little bit of respect. Swami comes in, they all become quiet, and he thinks, what did I do now? <laughs> what did I do wrong? See, this kind of thing. So <laughs> anyway, so this is Vidimarg. Hmm. Maria, same idea. Hmm. So you can enter into Ram Lila as a das, but this Ram Lila, hmm, it's interesting because Ram is understood to be God by the measure of his adherence to Dharma, which is impossible for any human being. Hmm. But he doesn't have. The, Otherwise, anything about him that overtly makes him appear like God. Whereas Narayan, another face of Krishna, has the forearms. It means like, like sometimes your mother says when you're a kid, Mom, you know, what do you think, I got forearms? You know, I can't do everything. Sit down, you know. So the implication is, has forearms as God. Hmm? And it's like pretty clear. He's superhuman. So Narayan has been envisioned experienced, depicted by the mystics as forearmed. Hmm? And he's sitting on a throne and he's served with reverence and awe and, and, and so forth. Now this realm, this Leela of Ram is just kind of like transcendentally just, just a little bit north of that. Hmm? The distances in this realm of love are not miles really, or feet, centimeters, kilometers, but they're sentiments of love. The more they afford these realms intimacy with the Godhead, hmm, the higher up they are, so to speak. Hmm? 
So this reverential love of Narayan is like the base entry level of, of, of love. The love, the Leela of Ram and Hanuman and so forth is a realm that's just slightly above that because in that realm, what do we see? We see that Hanuman is there serving, hmm? like the servitors of Narayan, serving and so forth. But we also see something different. We see that Ram has a father and a mother in the Leela. In Narayan's Leela, there's no father of Narayan. That would be like weird. In an ordinary sense, if you went to heaven and God had a father, you'd think, God, <laughs> you're supposed to be the father. And, you know, you're supposed to have one son. Maybe there's many. Maybe we're all sons, you know, but something like that. But, you know, the idea that God has a father, it's kind of like different. And a mother, hmm? and a wife, maybe. <laughs> so, but uh, in, in, in Baikuntu, we have Narayan and Lakshmi. Hmm? But Lakshmi is also in serving mood also. Hmm? Of kind of serving mood. But you cannot become a Lakshmi hmm? in Baikuntha. There's only one Lakshmi. Hmm? You enter the Ramlila, there's only one Lakshmi, so Sita. Hmm? So you can't become a Sita. Hmm? He's got some brothers, Ram. There's this sentiment of brotherly love. Hmm? Huh? He's got parents, so there's a sentiment of like parental love for 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 Ram. <laughs> but Hanuman, his kind of love is the kind of love we could develop and enter in there. Hmm? But my point is, we're seeing this is the same Krishna, Narayan, Krishna, Ram. They're different faces of the same person. Krishna is the fountainhead. Hmm? So we're seeing in the Ram Lila something we don't see in 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 the Narayan Lila. We see in this Leela there's friendship and there's some uh, parental love and so forth. I can't directly participate in it, but it gives the idea that that, that thing is that's possible. Hmm? And so this Ram Leela is a kind of a realm just above this Narayan's Leela that points in the direction of Krishna Leela. Hmm? And in the Krishna Leela we find parental love and many people have it. There are many elders with parental love. We find many gopis, Radha and all her expansions and so forth. Hmm? We find many friends, those mates of Krishna, frolicking in the forest and so forth. And this Leela is inviting us. You could participate in any of these ways with Krishna, with this face of divinity. You could love this face of divinity like a parent loves a son, kind of. Hmm? Like a brother loves a bro friend loves a friend. Like a lover loves a beloved, romantic love, fraternal love, parental love, and love in, 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 in servitude as well. Therefore, Krishna is called Rasa Raj. Raj means king, Rasa. He's the emperor of Rasa, of reciprocal dealings. That face of the absolute that reciprocates in all ways with any type of, of uh, loving approach. And if you want to focus on one, you might be better go to Narayan, or Ram, and so forth. So there are different kinds of devotees who develop different types of sentiments like this. But in the Krishna Leela, we have them all, but we have them all, and you think about them, they are all more intimate than the love of the servant and the master. Friendship is more intimate than servant and master. You can sit on the same seat with your friend, right? Push him over. 
And parental love also is, is, you know, you could chastise your child even, you know, tell them, no, you can't do that. You can't go to Narayan and go, don't do that, Narayan. Narayan's God, he's got four arms, you know, you're just like, whoa, you know, you know he's in awe. Hmm? So this, <laughs> it's an interesting concept. So the distance between these realms, if you will, is intimacy of love and a kind of a, 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 a intensity of bhakti. Hmm? And it reaches this intensity, it's, it's zenith when, when Krishna becomes the object, when that face of the godhood is the object. You know, we have different faces of the god. We have Krishna, for example. We have, let's say, Jesus Christ. We have Buddha and so forth. You know, they represent Buddha's the wisdom of the fact. Like I said earlier, what? The world is about suffering. That's wise. Hmm? We're not so wise because we keep trying <laughs> to enjoy in a world that's about suffering. But this is like the wisdom of the Godhead. You know, you could look at Jesus as the sacrificing, right? Climbed a mount and sacrificed and so forth. And Krishna is like the heart of the whole thing, where all kinds of love and dealings are, are possible. Hmm? It's a very beautiful idea. And then within Krishna, you know, you have the, you have the idea of the Ram, as I said, in the Ryan, and there, there are many such avatars. Hmm? Hmm. So, what the question is about, the difference between Love that's motivated by doing the right thing because he's God, he's got four arms, he should be worshipped. Hmm? And the scriptures say you should do this, you shouldn't do that, so it's motivated by that. That's a certain type of love of God. Now, how that bhakti would practice the same way, hearing a chanting, but you might chant uh, you know, the names of Narayana, hmm? uh, perhaps rather than the name of Krishna. Hmm? as that love is honed. Hmm? I was with a fellow Sanskrit scholar in South India. We were invited to his library and he was, we were some devotees of Krishna, some sannyasis or nuncius like myself, all in the Krishna tradition, a few of us. We were there and he was a, a great devotee of Narayan and a scholar. Hmm? So he was having us for lunch. And we were discussing about Krishna Leela, some beautiful, charming Leelas about Krishna amongst us. And so my, my godbrother, he said, you know, I uh, forget his name, but Mr. So-and-so, you know, uh, he said, whenever we talk about Krishna, you always become very jolly. He said, oh, yes, yes, Krishna, very jolly. Hmm? And he said, but when we talk about uh, Narayan, he said, that is another thing. He went like this, I went, wow, he's got that, that kind of love for Narayan. Oh, he sees Krishna as an aspect of Narayan. Hmm? Hmm? We see Narayan as an aspect of Krishna. There's different visions, different perspectives. Hmm? He's seeing according to his love. His love is reverential. So he sees Narayan as the, as the be-all and all. He has a face called Krishna, which is playful and so forth, but ultimately, and when he shows that, well, you know, I can feel a little jolly, but otherwise, <laughs> it's all... So it's said, like in, in, in Baikuntham, it means without... Anxiety, that's what it means. The realm of Narayana. Hmm? All the different face, faces, I would call them emotional moments in the life of the Absolute, avatars, 
I told the other day how the Indians, they mapped, the Hindus, they mapped the world hmm? in ca- with time calculations. Like if you read Srimad Bhagavatam, the fifth canto, there's a description of the universe. It's all really a, a, a time uh, map hmm? in, a, in a form of meditation hmm? for a certain type of yogi, actually. Hmm? It's not particularly recommended for, 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 for bhakti yogis. But it's, it, certain people were in the audience when the discussion was going on. Hmm? So time map. Hmm? It's very accurate, actually, but it looks at the world fr- from a different angle. Hmm? There's a lot of, when I say there's a lot of science and reason to the way they depicted it. And it's a long story, but, but at any rate, the point is that there are certain times that are auspicious for ritual openings, if you will, in the world hmm? for entering the other side, for crossing over. Or for the other side crossing this way. That's what we call avatara. Tara means to cross. Ava means to come from up to down. So the face of the avatar crosses from up to down at a certain time. The titi, the exact time. This is holy and sacred, and and so forth. This is idea. Hmm? And so in Baikuntham, in this realm beyond time and beyond space, when the titi comes, the time for the janmashtami, the birth of Krishna on on earth, you know, or Narasimha or Vaman, this one. Then Narayan shows that face, and they celebrate that in Vaikuntha and so forth. And so they see all these as phases of Narayan. Hmm? But we see then Narayan as a face of Krishna. It's a, a kind of a bit different angle. And there's good reason for that, because we find different possibilities of love in Krishna than we find in Narayan. Therefore, we think Narayan is derived from Krishna rather than the other way around. Hmm? Because greater possibilities of love and intimacy hmm, are available in relation to Krishna. Indeed, that's what the word Krishna means in a sense. It means irresistible, all-attractive, irresistible, Bhagavan Bhajaniya, Gunavishesh. So all kinds of love are possible with Krishna. Of course, we're talking about transcendental love and consciousness. There's There's kind of a you know, a semblance of what we're talking about on earth to help us get an understanding of this. Again, I posited the idea of the family love and different kinds of love there, and so on. So, the love of Krishna, that is called the Ragmarg. The love of Narayan and the different avatars like Ram and so forth, this is all Vaiti Bhakti. The activities are the same, basically. Bhakti is Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam. Hearing about, chanting, and if you hear and chant in kirtan, what will happen in due course, you start to meditate. Smarnam. The mind will, in time you chant, and then you come out of the chanting, and the mind's automatically meditating. You don't have to sit and force it to meditate. It will automatically meditate. Hmm? Shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu smarnam, padasevanam, dasyam sakim, different types of limbs, if you will, of the body of bhakti, that where, where you can express yourself in bhakti hmm? in relation to the center, the Godhead. Hmm? So whether you do it in vaidhi bhakti or rag bhakti, rag means spontaneous, it means attachment. We thought we were supposed to give up attachments, right? But this is attachment to Bhagwan. Attachment is unbecoming. If you're attached to someone, then you deal with them in an unbecoming way, in a sense. You're attached to them for your purposes. You know, love is a more, really, to love somebody has to be a little bit more objective and stand back and 
see them for what they are. We talk about that. This is in material life. You have to give them their space and honor them for what they are. So attachment tends to uh, is kind of unbecoming. But this is a kind of path of attachment for Krishna. Hmm? That's why <laughs> in the Leela of Krishna, in the Ragmarg, Krishna is God, but he's acting in ways that aren't God. And therefore the people who worship Narayan, they go, how can you deal with God like that? Hmm? You understand? His mother is scolding him. How can you deal with God like that? Hmm? So attachment degrades. <laughs> but this is an upgrade, actually. Hmm? It's, it's causing such intimacy. And Krishna likes this. Hmm? After all, God li doesn't like to just be alone. Worship can get pretty boring, you know, sitting up here on the seat, you know. Anybody I can talk to, you know, about other things, you know, the... That, you know, or without having to couch every word and make sure everybody understands it, just to kick back and say, what do you think of the talk? <laughs> <laughs> How did I do? <laughs> so, something like that, you see. So this is Krishna, you see. This is Krishna when God wants to relax. That's Krishna. Hmm? <laughs> and there, so there are associates in the Leela for that. So there's a certain kind of bhakti. We call that rag bhakti. Hmm? And it's, it's motivated by attachment for Krishna. And it's, it, 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 it doesn't really, it's not propelled or motivated by what's right or what's wrong in, in the scripture. In fact, sometimes the rights and wrongs can be crossed over even hmm? and are crossed over out of love. It's very exciting, extraordinary. Of course, now, how are we going to do that? Because how are we going to tread that marg, that path? Because we might have attachment for Krishna. It sounds like an interesting idea. and all, but We have attachments to all kinds of other things at the moment. Hmm? So therefore, hmm, what happens is we get motivated to pursue that kind of path rather than the reverential path the path of intimacy and attachment for Krishna and so forth, and intimate love. We get motivated to do that by sadhu sangha. When we come in touch with a sadhu who has that kind of interest, then naturally it spills over onto us even though we're not really kind of qualified in a sense. We don't have that kind of inner attachment that it's all about, and we're not, we can't, so we can't cultivate it if we don't have it. But we become attached to the sadhu who has that, and we think, I want that. Hmm? What he has, what she has, I want that. Hmm? So our goal then becomes fixed up. Hmm? I want that kind of bhakti. So my my motivation hmm, is not that I'll do bhakti just because the scripture says do this and the scripture says don't do that. I want it because, because I see that sadhu has that and I like that sadhu. I attach myself to that sadhu. Hmm? Then that sadhu advises, okay, you do like this. You hear and chant like this in this way. And in time, hmm, attachment will come. Hmm? A time, some attachment will come. We call it ajata ruchi rag bhakti. Ruchi means taste. Taste. It's said that sugar cane is sweet. Some of you may have tasted it, right? Most of the sugar comes, unfortunately, from cane in ways that's not that good. But sugar cane is sweet. But if you have jaundice, then sugar tastes bitter. It's one of the effects of jaundice. But sugar, pure sugar cane, if you eat it, will cure jaundice. 
So you have jaundice, sugar cane tastes bitter, but it's not bitter. Hmm? If you keep chewing on it, as the jaundice the disease goes away, the sweetness in the cane comes out. Hmm? It was always there, but you had jaundice. So ruchi means like taste, literally. So a taste for bhakti. Now our spiritual practice, we don't have a taste, but we like good company. Hmm? The Swami comes, you know, we think, that's great, let's go, you know, hear from him. Some of it kind of makes sense. <laughs> so, so you, you know, you like a sadhu, you become attached to that, that, that sadhu, but for what he's actually or she's actually doing, and, and you, you haven't really, you have a taste for other things more that are distracting you. So that, that other taste, that is ignorance. That's attachment to things. That's like the jaundice. Hmm? Now he gives you the chanting, for example, and it's sweet, but you know, you can, maybe now it's more like medicine. Hmm? Ruchi is a stage when medicine becomes food. The medicine becomes a food. I've taken the medicine. The jaundice has gone away. Hmm? It's nourishing me and it's sweet at the same time. Hmm? I'm being carried now by a taste for that. And the implication of that taste is nadanam nadanam nasundarim kabitam ba. Nadanam nadanam nasundarim. I have no tra- no taste for nadanam for wealth, nadanam for followers, for people saying, no, you look good, good today. You know, I could care less. You know. Or they say, you look bad today. I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not emotionally, you know, wanting of a significant other. I'm full in myself. All these things. It means if you play it out, I have I have no interest in the world. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is a verse from him about Kirtan. He says, "Nadanam kabitam ba jagari shakamaye mama janmani janmanishwari." He said, he says, Narayan Vishnu is the Lord of the world. Hmm? We talked a little, little bit about this yesterday. The Maya Shakti presided over by Vishnu. He says, Oh, Lord of the world. He says, I have no interest in you. <laughs> How does he say it? I don't have any interest in the world that you preside over here. So I have no interest in you. I'm saying it in a polite way. <laughs> I have no interest in the things which the world is constituted of that you preside over. Hmm? So, Jagat Ish. Isha means God. Jagat means the world. Jagat Isha Kamaye. Then he says, Mama Janmani Janmanishware Babatat Bhakti Rahoitakitwe. He says Janmanishware. Again he says he says Isha Janma Janmanishware. He says, You are the Lord of my life. Hmm? That means now I have no taste for the world. He says, I have attachment only for bhakti. I had attachment for the world. Now I have attachment for bhakti and for Janmanishwar. Hmm? I don't care if I even take birth again or not. I just want to be associated with you through bhakti. He's replaced the, the God who presides over the world with Krishna now. Hmm? The Lord of his heart and his ideal. Hmm? So he's got ruchi. So this rag, 
attachment, ruchi, same similar idea. Without it, you know, how can we tread the path? But we can ajata ruchi rag. Without ruchi, before that comes, we can tread that path if we meet a sadhu from that with that realm in mind, with that ideal in mind, that becomes contagious, that becomes our ideal. Hmm? We want that kind of love, love of Krishna, in intimacy, for example. Hmm? I want that kind, not reverential love. So then I follow the sadhu, and in time, as I chant, I start to get a particular kind of ruchi then, a ruchi, a taste that corresponds with this type of intimate love, and that begins to lead me further and so forth. Mm. So, so this is a basic difference between Vaidhi Bhakti and Rag Bhakti. In the beginning, if we don't have any Rag, any Ruchi, we mix a little Vaidhi Bhakti with a little Rag Bhakti. How is that? Our motivation becomes, as I said, the association of the Sadhu and the very intellectual argument, if you will, that I'm giving you right now. It's an intellectual, you know, argument, if you will. What is Rag Bhakti? What is Vaidhi Bhakti? So you may be motivated by this argument. What is the theoretical underpinning of Rag Bhakti? I like that. I may not love Krishna, but I like that idea. Hmm? I'm identified with that idea. That theory of what is Rag Bhakti is motivating me. Hmm? And then I attach myself to a sadhu in that line, and then. He says, you hear and chant like this, and in time, as Ruchi develops, then he helped you refine that chanting. Chant these names that correspond with this kind of love of Krishna, like friendly love, a romantic love, because he'll be called by the different devotees, by different names in the Leela. Hmm? Something like that. Does that help? So, it's a long, long explanation there. Interesting, though, huh? It's a fascinating. You see, it's very theologically rich. Uh, tradition. I mean, it's like it's mind-boggling that you know you talk about love of God. You say, which face of God, which type of love within the context of that, which which nuance, and <laughs> it's like, and then we have whole in our tradition texts like this discussing all the different nuances of of, of love and the faces of Krishna and different avatars corresponding with different types of devotees, different types of leelas. These are just a sampling, in a sense, of the possibilities. The parameters of in which that uh, ever nuanced love of God can fall, can fall, play itself out. Yes. I'm, I'm always exposed to wonderful depictions of Krishna as a young person. Other depictions of Krishna at 60, 70, 90 No, there aren't. And uh, it's said that uh, in, in, in that he was that he appears in the world for 125 years and never ages beyond like 16. Hmm? And of course, in a metaphorical sense, the depiction uh, of the Godhead as a youth makes a lot of sense to us compared to an old man on a cloud kind of uptight, you know, keeping score, you know, you did a bad thing. Okay, you did a good thing. <laughs> Something like it's a very different depiction. And if we want to speak about the idea of God 
not not being someone that we serve because it's God. You got to do the laws of God. If you don't, you're in trouble. Motivated by fear, or by you know that I might get in the pearly gates and by prospect. Hmm? You can love God out of fear, out of prospect of what you might attain, kind of materially speaking, from a material perspective, out of duty, which is much higher. We talked about that. Whether it, whatever, it may cause me difficulty in this world, but I'll do it because it's right. Something like that. Or out of love. Hmm? So Krishna is the face of God. We can, we can be, our love can be, motiv- for him can be motivated, will be motivated only by, by love. And so the idea is that you know, love is attractive, right? As we're all driven for that. So, metaphorically, you can say that love is depicted, the object of love is depicted as youthful because youth is very attractive to us. Everybody likes a puppy, you know? The dog eh, could come or go. Oh, isn't he cute? Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> youth is, it, it's just very attractive and it seems to be all potential there in youth. All possibilities and... All the world is after youth. The corporations want the youth. The universities want the youth. The military wants the youth. The parents want the youth to stay at home and not get old. Hmm? Only youth wants to get old. Hmm? In illusion. <laughs> and then try to recapture his youth. <laughs> yeah. So youth is, is in this world is all attractive. So the Godhead is experienced and then depicted as youthful. The complexion of Krishna, we can go a little further, the dark you know, complexion, it's sometimes like a rain cloud. The rain cloud is like, the implication is this is India, so the, implica- the hot season in India is hot. It's like 120 degrees in, in Vrindavan, for example, the, the place of Krishna's Leela, 120 degrees. It's hot right now. It's really hot there. And... Um, so when, when July comes, you know, the beginning of the, 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 the rainy season, there's the first big pregnant cloud with rain. It's cooling. It has, it's filled with something. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, just pour everywhere, you know. And, and everything is like fried to a crisp and dried out, you know. And all at once, everything is going to be flooded and turn green and so forth. So they, Krishna, metaphorically, you could say, is you know, this is the implication, something like that, hmm? like a rain cloud in the at the end of the rain. You just can't go any further. It's the end of the, heat, the hot season. You know, it, in fact, in, I'll tell you, in the in the Guinness Book of Records, the hottest temperatures recorded on Earth are in Vrindavan, <laughs> the place of Krishna's past, right on the border of the Rajasthani desert. So this this makes it more dramatic, right? The rain cloud and all that it will do, it, the magic of that, and so forth. Also, that cloud, that color uh, of Krishna's complexion, from an aesthetic, poetic point of view, is called sham, and it, the, all the different colors correspond with different uh, emotions. And sham is the color that corresponds with romantic feelings, hmm? romantic love. So, and this is the kind of love. That's most compelling, most, you know, that like, you'll do, you'll make a real fool of yourself for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
the things that you'll succumb to, you know, something like that. And you'll let nothing ever get in the way of it. Anything gets in the way, you know, it just, it just compels it that much more, you know. So you, you see Krishna's, the love of, of, of Radha for Krishna is like the love of a young girl for a young boy. And if you say, honey, dear, it's not going to work. He's from the wrong side of town, you know. She'd be out the window that night, you know. <laughs> So there's nothing you can, it's, it's a pratihata, it cannot be checked. Hmm? It's a haituki, it has nothing else on its mind. Hmm? Hmm? Something like that. This is Krishna Bhakti. And in order for that kind of love, then you have to have an object of love that's super compelling. So if you took all the beautiful things like youth, the color of romantic love, the green cloud in the, in the, in the, uh, you know, at the end of the hot seat, all these things together in nature, let's say, for example, hmm? Uh, you, you, you try to put them all together to describe what is that idea of the Godhead and it comes out to Krishna. Hmm? So you can kind of sort him out like that in a sense from a metaphorical point of view. But it's not that the, he, we're talking about something that's just a metaphor that doesn't exist. It's a metaphor in a sense that it's, that's a way of helping us try to, like I said, based on a true story. The true story is even better than the one you know based on. Hmm? The real facts, something like that. What and that's all beyond speech, beyond thought, beyond art. Hmm? That uh, we have to go beyond mind, and of course, then spiritual discipline. So it's a wise kind of love that we advocate when we advocate bhakti. That help? Yeah, yeah. Nice question. I like that one. What else? We've talked for a while. What time is it now? Okay. No Nobody seems to have concern. But <laughs> 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 that's right. That's right. That's right. Pretty soon the sun will be coming up or setting. It's three o'clock. You had a question? No. You were volunteering the time. Yes, Ragat Mika. Um, yesterday you mentioned we make effort. Our, we should make an effort towards grace. And I'm wondering if our efforts, each human's efforts towards grace, is that karmically like you have your set ability for that lifetime to to get grace. Uh huh. Well, the practice of bhakti is not um, dependent on our karma. The practice of bhakti um, is transcendental to karma. Karma predicament is something like this. Let's say you uh, maxed out your credit card. Okay? And so the situation is such that your paycheck after meeting just the basic necessities, it's all going to pay the credit card. So you have no time, fun time, no time of your own, no fun money. Hmm? It's work, eat something, pay the, pay the credit card debt. So you're in a real jam. This is the karmic kind of implication. It's almost like deterministic. Free will is hard to find here. We're implicated in our karmic... Um, repercussions, 
we acted in a certain way that has caused a certain tendency to come in with us, within us and has power over us almost in the next life. We're almost driven by our karma to act in a way that we've uh, uh, fostered from the past and for us to like come out and from under that is, is very, very difficult. So, what happens when you max out the credit card? Then you have to go to the, you know, declare bankruptcy, get an attorney, go to the court, and the court says, okay, let the creditors back off, you know, a little bit, give this guy a little room, give him some movie money, you know, give him something so he can have a life here, and we'll pay you partially, something like that, negotiates with the creditors. So the guru is something like that comes into our karmic situation and, and, and gives us a life. Hmm? The karma is, is pushed back to some extent. Hmm? It's not entirely gone, but you're able to practice bhakti. That requires some will. Hmm? The opportunity comes into your life. Maybe you're not even looking for it, but it comes of its own accord. And then, then you respond with that. So bhakti is, is transcendental karma, but it's true that our karmic situation Maybe one thing for one person, one thing for another, and one may be carrying a greater burden than another, and thus be um, uh, not uh, advance in bhakti as readily. Hmm? Someone may come, and then with that comes motives too. Someone may come into bhakti and have a certain different for knowledge. For because because of being a seeker, because of wanting things even, um, and so it depends, you know, how we, where, how we come to it, with what in mind, how quickly we may progress, and that has something to do with our our karma. So it's not entirely an, a, a non-factor, in a sense. But um, as far as positioning ourselves to get grace, to attract mercy, something like that. I don't think that that is such a difficult thing. And there are there are things to do. We can learn like uh, certain uh, devotees do certain things because they think, well, Krishna must like that. Hmm? So we can imitate those things. Hmm? It's like if you it used to be when I was a kid, if you we catch a bus to go to school, if you're standing on the bus waiting for the school and the girl there from the other side of town who you didn't know until you went to school, she got a crush on you, and then she'd find out you liked, you know, apple, you know, pie. So she'd show up at the bus stop with apple pie. Just happened to have an apple pie. <laughs> Something like that. I really like apple pie. Really? No kidding. So, it's kind of like, you know, you're kind of positioning yourself in such a way that, so you, you figure... You see, Krishna likes these things, you know, so you start to adopt those things hmm, in your life, you know. Hmm. Um, and this that's one idea. And of course, then, it's also such that if you have a bucket and you want to fill it with milk, it would be good if it didn't have a hole in it, right? So humility, this is a, this is a nice thing. Hmm? Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was strongly recommended this, advocated, mandated this. Humility is like you have no hole in the bucket. So, someone thinks, I, I can spend my time here. This won't be wasted. It won't go in one ear and out the other. Hmm? So, sadhus, if they see someone as humble, 
Hmm? They think, oh, I can share this with her. It's just not going to go, you know, it's, it's going to go in. Hmm? It's like a sponge. It's going to go in. It's going to be... So they, they'll tend to want to spend more time. If, you, if, you, if I say any questions and I see someone ask me a question, Swami, you, you wrote this on this page. You were saying this. I want to understand it further. I think... Oh, she's worth spending time with, you know. She's like interested in the topic here. Um, so then someone else will say, you know, my mind is this, and you know, I was wondering about, and they ask me some, you know, psychological question, and I have to say, I'm not a psychologist, but I can try, you know. It's not my field entirely, but um, hmm. so <laughs> something like that. So there are ways in, in the context of bhakti, I think, regardless of our, we're not, by our karmic situation in any uh, less of a position to be able to draw mercy. Indeed, we may be in a karmic situation and that may draw mercy in and of itself. Hmm? Like, I'm very mercifully disposed towards you. You should know that. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I think of you, I think of all your you know ups and downs and so forth only. Hmm? And, um, and how you're still here coming and asking questions and practicing. So uh, just by thinking of you, then I think, oh, she, she, she deserves a lot of compassion and, and, uh, and kindness. So um, it gets a bit embarrassing almost. That's the way it works. Hmm. There's uh, a devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his name was Lochandas, about 500 years ago. He said, what does he say? He says, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu, Daya koro more. Tomabina ke doyalu jagat sangsare. He said, Oh, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, you are doyalu, very merciful. And he said, said you give yourself to the unqualified people. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not about justice, you see. If you're waiting in line for mercy and then somebody behind you gets called, let that one come up ahead. And you go, what, what? I was here first, you know. And he's like, say, go to the back of the line. <laughs> so mercy is the overriding of, of justice. We can't ask for justice and mercy at the same time. Hmm? Right? So he says, you are very, the deliverer of the, you know, you're very merciful deliverer of the fallen people. And here's my case. In the world, there's no one more fallen than me, therefore I'm the most qualified to receive your mercy. So please, he sings, you please show it to me, something like that. This is very interesting reasoning. <laughs> so uh, I, I would say that, no, there's no, there's no karmic situation that makes you unqualified or less qualified to uh, uh, receive uh, compassion. It could be the other way around, the worse your plight. Hmm. Uh, Works both ways. As I said, if we see someone very interested, then naturally also we want to share ourselves with them. We want to share ourselves also with those who are not that interested, but they make it a little harder, that's true. But still, <laughs> still, opportunity for grace is there. So, what else? You've been very nice uh, group. Always, when I come here, it's a nice group. Some re repeating faces and some new faces. I hope that I come again, maybe in 
springtime or fall in the fall this is the spring now in the fall I'll see some of you again we have a nice festival at our uh, ashram in Northern California in August we so oftentimes uh, people from the bhakti shop come spend some time there you're welcome to talk to Leela Mai Hari Bhakti about that and come visit us come to my home hmm? okay thank you very much Hare Krishna